So as uh, many of you know, I have two children. My daughter is 19 and my son is 14. Our parenting goals uh, were not only to love our children, which was certainly one of them, uh, teach them about God for sure, but one of our goals was to help our children mature into responsible adults, uh, to become contributing members of society. But as every parent knows, it's, it's complicated. It doesn't just happen. There is this ideal that we have in our head about parenting before we became parents. This ideal that everything would be perfect. I would look at other families before I had kids and I would say to myself, my kids will never act like those kids. Right? It's this idea, I, in my mind, I didn't fully understand what it is I was signing up for. What I didn't understand was, the truth is, I don't, I don't have two kids. I actually have four. Two are in heaven. I hadn't prepared my mind for a miscarriage. I didn't even know what that meant, the pain that that brought. So there's a reality to being a parent. It's a good reality. It's been a joyous experience. I love watching my kids grow and thrive. If you didn't know, my daughter was center stage today. She got all her singing talent for me. It was She's incredible, <laughs> which is a lie. So our kids are born and we come alongside them and it looks different as they mature and grow. You bring them home and there's the changing of the diapers, what a glorious job, and teaching them to eat first with a bottle, then with a a spoon, then maybe a fork. Then, of course, there's that glorious job of potty training. And When I was a kid, I was apparently stubborn. And I wouldn't potty train well, and so my mom was running out of options, and so finally she brought out my Raggedy Andy doll. Remember Randy, Raggedy Andy, Raggedy and Raggedy, well, we had Raggedy Andy dolls, and apparently my mom, in order to coax me, wanted to prove that if Raggedy Andy could do it, I could do it, so she placed Raggedy Andy on the commode and dropped raisins in, and apparently it worked, Uh, so little trick for you new parents out there. Then we teach our children to write their names. My mom would wake us up in the middle, not in the middle of the night, but for us it was middle of the night, probably eight or nine o'clock, and bring us downstairs while my brothers were sleeping like it was a big secret, and she'd teach us to write our name. It was kind of a a bonding experience. And then... We teach our kids to tie their shoes and teach them to drive, which is its own terrifying experience. And sometimes our children need to be corrected, even the most perfect of children like mine. We tell our children, don't throw your blocks at your sister and hit her in the face because that's not kind and nice. And Oh, you were out past curfew. Give me the car keys. You're grounded for a week. Sometimes we have to challenge our kids. Have you really thought that through? Are you sure you want to spend all your money on that? And eventually, every parent must have the, it's time to grow up 
and take responsibility for your life talk. It's from there we dive into our text today, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read through verse 9. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. The movement of the spiritual life as described in the scriptures, is often compared to the maturing process of a child moving into adulthood. And so the metaphors of milk and solid food represent that growth from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. In many ways, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is a, it's time to grow up and take responsibility for your spiritual life talk a talk given to an entire church. Now, the church addressed here is the church at Corinth. Corinth was a city in the Roman world. Uh, It was colonized by Rome in 44 BC, and it was a complex city. It was a city filled with opportunity, but also gross immorality. And many of the values of the Corinthians were contrary to the way Christians lived out their faith in the world. Now, by the time this letter has been written, about five years have passed since this church was established, and maturity was not happening, at least not the way the Apostle Paul thought it was happening. And so he says to them, you guys, at this point, you should be on solid food. There's a point where you start taking responsibility for your spiritual life, and as a result, you notice healthy growth, but none of that seems to be happening, so instead, you still need someone to bottle feed you. So you've been chuckling, thinking he looks ridiculous. Because in many ways, it's pretty ridiculous for a full-grown man to drink out of a bottle. It's not what's expected, because there is behavior that is normal for infants that is not normal for adults. Like, for instance, you ever fly in an airplane, 
And there's a baby that's just screaming and crying. And like, listen, I have a lot of compassion for those families because we were that family. Like my kids would scream on the plane, particularly one of them. I think it was their ears, particularly when we would land. Just they scream and cry and felt bad for them, tried to coax them. So when I sit next to someone with a screaming baby, I'm just like, it's all good. I have noise canceling headphones and we're going to be friends. But have you ever seen an adult have a meltdown on an airplane? See, when an adult has a meltdown on an airplane, the cell phones come out and people start taking video. Now, when a baby is crying, no one's taking video. It's because that's what babies do. But when an adult starts whining and complaining and throwing a fit, we pull out our phones and we post it on the internet because it just looks weird. It's not normal adult behavior. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is essentially St. Paul saying to the church at Corinth, your immaturity is on full display for the world to see, particularly with your inability to be civil with one another. It's so pronounced that in fact I'm hearing about it from 350 miles away. See, the letter that was written to the Corinthian church was actually composed in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus is about 350 miles away from Corinth, which is approximately the distance of Milwaukee to Detroit. There are no telephones, there's no email, there's no Zoom. And so the Apostle Paul is hearing by word of mouth that there's this behavior happening in the church he started in Corinth. There's immaturity incivility, division, which is compromising the integrity of the church that Christ established and died for. If you read history, you know that there are certain things that seem to repeat themselves. I read just this week in the Washington Post an article that started this way. Civility in America continues to disintegrate And rude behavior is becoming the new normal. Just last week, my my daughter Hannah went to Walmart. If you go to Walmart, you know there's the big entrances and one side says in and one side says out, but both doors open both ways. Well, she was walking in, wasn't really paying attention. There wasn't a lot of people there and she walked in the out door. And as she was walking in, this mother and daughter or some were walking out and they looked at her and said, that's the outdoor. Why are you walking out the outdoor? Don't you? And I'm like, why do you care? What's the big deal? They're not in your way. Why is it even necessary to point it out or say anything? You're at Walmart. Who cares? But for some reason, full incivility was on display. I'm kind of getting to the point where, like, I've almost given up on being kind to each other. Can we just be civil? Can we be humans? Can we be mature adults? It's even worse when it makes its way into the faith community. Because when it makes its way into the faith community, the kingdom of God is tainted. And in every church that I know, and every friend of mine who's a pastor, we've seen a lot of quarreling in the faith community. 
Forgetting that the Christian mandate, it's not just civility, it's not just kindness, it's not even love, it's, it's life transformation in which I become, in my maturity process, a little bit more like Christ. And as I become a little bit more like Christ, my faith and transformation can actually have an impact on the world I live in. It's why Jesus said, be salt and light. But this church was not making Corinth better because they were still too busy fighting and clashing with each other. And so that forces the Apostle Paul to pen these words. You're still immature. You're still worldly, verse three. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? There's jealousy. Jealousy is sadness or anger towards someone else's blessing and prosperity. Which is kind of weird when you think about it, right? I'm upset that someone else is doing well. It's really an odd concept. James, the brother of Jesus, writes, where jealousy exists, there's disorder. You ever been jealous of somebody? I wish my marriage was like their marriage. I wish their kids were, my kids were like their kids. I wish my business would grow like their business is growing. I wish I got the promotion they got. I wish I looked like them. I wish I got picked for that. I wish I had the wealth of that person. And what starts to happen is a weed starts to grow up in our soul that tends to choke everything else out. I have this part of my yard, my landscaping, where I've got these, these thistles, these weeds that you gotta wear, you gotta wear leather gloves to pull them out because they go right through the other gloves. And I have pulled those things out. I have put chemicals on them. I've killed the ozone. I have done everything I know, save lighting them on fire to get rid of these things. And they just keep coming back every year. When I allow jealousy to take root in my soul, it's like a weed that's really hard to get rid of. It just keeps coming back. And we forget, when we look at someone else through the eyes of jealousy, we're only seeing a cropped picture. We're not seeing the full story. Like when I look at someone else and say, I wish my marriage was as good as their marriage, you're not seeing the sacrifice and the work and the blood, sweat, and tears it took to get there. When you see someone else thriving in in business, you don't know the sacrifice that was made to get to that place. You only see a small part of the picture. And so quarreling is creating this church of immature children who still need to be bottle-fed. And then he goes on to say, and, you, and you're quarreling on top of that. There's this arguing. You know what the word quarreling means? It just means arguing and bickering over just petty things. I was, I was talking with someone not too long ago. And, you know, I, 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 I love people. I, I do, and I really do. But this person was just telling me about all the bad things happening in the world. And yeah, we live in a really complex challenging time right now. And they went on and on and on. And I finally, I said, you know what though? You're right. you, everything you said is right, but I got great news. In the end, God wins. Is that not our hope? 
Like in the end, God wins. So to me, a lot of that stuff doesn't matter. Because in the end, God wins. Now in this particular case, one of the quarrels was around personalities and leaders. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. In the ancient world, the personal identity in some ways was defined by the answer to this question. Whose are you? Meaning, who do you follow? Who are you influenced by? Who is it that you consider your leader? And so there were factions happening in this church based on leadership. Some said, I I follow the Apostle Paul. He started this church, and he's incredible, and I like how he does things. Well, when the Apostle Paul left and moved on to start another church, a man named Apollos came in. And there was someone that said, no, 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 we don't care about Paul. We like Apollos is our guy. And so these factions are developing around these personality types. It's been suggested that Apollos was a better public speaker than the Apostle Paul. And because the Corinthians valued the power of the spoken word, they thought he was a better leader than the Apostle Paul. Let me look at that and say that's silly, but it's not just an old problem. It's a modern day challenge as well. I mean, like for instance, like I know this would never happen with anybody who comes to the nine o'clock service, but it happens like on Saturday at 4.30 and maybe at the 10.30. People walk in and pick up the note sheet and say, I wonder, is Mike speaking today? Because if he's not, I might go down to the sawmill. And... <laughs> or I wish John would speak more. He's better looking. I just, I would rather, I'm sick of Mike's face. I just wish John would speak more. Or what about that elder guy that speaks sometime? What was his name? I think his name is Paul something. Why doesn't he speak more? Or I, I think they all stink, so I just go home and watch someone better online because they're deeper and better and more biblical. And, and while I'm at it, I, I sure hope that Today it's AJ that's singing the songs, or no, no, I, I hope it's Tara, because I like the way she kind of does things, or no, what about that guy that sounds like the dude from Third Day, what's his name? Oh yeah, Matt, I wish he was singing today. Forgetting that we're all, all just servants, and when we become anything more than that, well, that's dangerous. After all, what is... Mike or John or Paul or Tar or AJ or Matt. Are we not just servants? Verse six, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. All the credit goes to him. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters, they have one purpose. And they'll be rewarded according to their labor, for we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. All we're doing, all our job is, all my job is, is to set the table. And everyone sets the table a little different. I was at one church one time, and the music was an organ and a piano, and the speaker was a guy in a suit, which is fine. I was at another church in Los Angeles, California, 
and the music was heavy, heavy rock music, and the pastor got up and spoke in a Los Angeles Clippers basketball jersey. I was at another church in Africa, in Ghana, and this church met underneath a tree, and there was about 100 people there, and when the music started, the whole church started dancing. And I don't mean just like swaying. I mean, they were getting it done. There was like a, almost felt like a conga line. They were just, and I'm like, I have zero rhythm. So I'm like, oh boy. So I tried to lean into that a little bit and they're just dancing. They're going on and on and on and on and on. And three weeks ago, I spoke at our partner church, You Flourish in Milwaukee. And uh, they do church very, very different than we, we do. And in every single setting, I worshipped because worship is a matter of the heart and not a matter of the liturgy or the style. And I can learn from any speaker if I open myself up to the possibility that God wants to speak through his scriptures. But the Corinthians, they were quarreling about who was setting the table and how they were doing it. I like, I like the way Paul does things. I like the way Apollos does things. And we can spend so much time quarreling about the table settings that we miss the meal. Maturity and growth happens when I position myself to receive from God that which has been placed before me. See, the Corinthians could not receive anything beyond milk because they were too busy with all the other distractions of the world, jealousies and the quarreling. And as a result, they were divided. They lacked integrity. Now, the word integrity, as it's used here, it simply means wholeness. They weren't whole. They were fractured. They were fractured because of their jealousies. I mean, if jealousy is stunting our spiritual growth, the practice, the antidote, the weed killer, is to introduce the practice of gratitude and contentment, both of which are talked about over and over and over again in the scriptures. I mean, when was the last time we were really content? with what we had and where we are in life. I've just made it my mission for myself personally. I've just chosen to be content in my reality right now. In the good and in the bad. My life's not perfect. I rolled up this morning in a minivan. The air conditioner's broken. The brakes are scraping the back and there's scratches all over the side of it and that's okay. Because I'm content. I'm going to get the brake fixed so I don't die. But beyond that, I'm content. <laughs> and if, if factions or quarreling is causing us to be unwhole, then maybe the practice is learning to be civil and kind in all things and choosing to commit to unity rather than division. Now don't forget this letter, like many of the letters in the New Testament, were not written to an individual. They were written to churches, to groups of people. Who we are together matters. How we act and how we live out our faith together, it actually matters. I was reading this morning a story in the book of Acts where one of the apostles performed a miracle, then shared the message of Christ, and a bunch of people were converted. And the phrase that was used, and all the people were astounded. 
Like, is our, is our mission and our message and our life together astounding to a world that desperately needs to be astounded? Or is it something else? In the Old Testament, whenever something significant happened, the Israelites were challenged to erect a monument, usually piling of stones, to remind them who they are, what they've committed to, and what they've done. And so as we wrap up this week, uh, we've created a little monument of our own here at Northbrook. In the hallway that divide the two buildings, um, over by the chapel, over towards the office, there's this big white sign that says integrity on it. Again, the word integrity meaning wholeness. As a church, I'm inviting you to commit with me to being whole, to being a group of people with integrity, to be a group of people that, that walk in unity, that walk in love, that walk in integrity. So out there by that sign, there's a whole bunch of felt tip markers. And the next step for this week, the challenge for all of us, and I've ended a little bit early so we can do this, as I hope you'll walk over there and just put your name on that sign. It's just a, a commitment that, yeah, I'm committing to wholeness. I'm committing to integrity. No, I'm not perfect. Life will never be perfect, but I'm going to do my very best to live a life of faith, to live a life of integrity and walk in love towards my other brothers and sisters in Christ. And so just put your name on that sign as a reminder of those things. As we close today, I want to read Psalm 133 as a prayer. I'm going to invite you to stand and receive these words and we'll head out together and put our name on the sign. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, when we walk in integrity, when we walk in wholeness. It is like precious oil, like anointing oil on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the refreshing dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, unity and wholeness the Lord bestows his blessing even life forevermore